listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. This week, I've got a really, really special guest, somebody who has an outstanding performance and composition career, someone all the way from Belgium, and that is guitarist, composer, medieval music expert, Gilbert Isbin. So Gilbert, welcome to the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. Hello, Michael. Welcome. (laughs) It's such a pleasure to have you. And again, I have the best job in the world connecting with amazing guitar teachers all over the world. And I'm so glad to have you here on the show after connecting on social media, uh, finding you teaching creativity and and composition with your brand new book. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Now, I'm just reading a little bit of your bio here. It says that uh, you're compositions and your performing style defy genre you blend elements of contemporary classical guitar jazz early music world music and uncommonly uh, with most guitar you know what is the stereotype classical guitar players generally don't improvise and they're not creative but you're obviously going against the grain there and a lot of what you do is based on composition and creativity so would you like to share with the uh, audience now listeners your story so far from performing and creativity and composition right up to what you're doing now in the education space. Okay. Well, I started uh, playing guitar when I was 18, so that's quite late. Uh, But uh, I started uh, playing classical guitar, uh, but soon uh, I had a teacher and he uh, got me into jazz. So it was a very, very strange kind of thing. I went to him to learn uh, classical guitar, but he... He was uh, into uh, Dupas and all these uh, wonderful guitar players. And so I started also playing uh, jazz, but on a classical guitar. And later on, I discovered uh, wonderful musicians like Joe McLaughlin, Ralph Town, uh, Bill Connors, uh, John Abercrombie, and so on and so on. Then I um, started, I, I immediately, when I started playing, I started to compose already. So at first it was quite difficult because there weren't much books at that time. And, uh, but I, I gradually, I got to a sort of, uh, theater, theoretical background to compose. Uh, but I also improvised. So I did all, always the two. I combined always the two. And a lot of my compositions are in fact, uh, starting with improvisations. Mostly, I start just, uh, you know, fooling around on my guitar on two chords or something, on one chord, or I uh, have a melody in my, uh, in my head and I write it down and then I arrange it. But of course, you need some uh, background for this. And uh, so I studied a lot of uh, harmony, uh, counterpoint, and so on. 
uh, that's one of my things. So I I, uh, I composed, I think now 400 pieces for all kinds of instruments. Uh, I'm still uh, writing another book again for uh, guitar duets, easy, easy pieces. So my last book was this book here, The Composing Guitarist. I'm constantly busy. I also play the lute, uh, which I uh, discovered 10 years ago. There was a teacher here at the corner of my street. He was a very famous lute player. And so I started to um, to learn the, the lute, and I wrote a lot of works for the lute too. So um, I'm... That's one of my first uh, thing I'm doing. That's composing, and then before, because now I don't perform anymore. But before I, I played a bit everywhere with a lot of uh, other musicians, uh, mostly in trios or duets. Uh, I played all over Europe and U- U.S. Um, a bit, a bit everywhere, but not in Australia, unfortunately. Might have to get you coming out of retirement for a one-off show. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like an amazing story so far, and uh, again to to go from a classical sort of someone who's interested in that and transition into jazz, because often the story goes, "Hey, I wanted to learn this kind of music, and my teacher showed me this kind of music." Uh, and now I want to stop playing. So was it, he just managed to capture your interest with that or he was just a really good teacher? Tell us about this uh, person. You, you went to classical lessons but ended up becoming uh, you know, a jazz guitar player from. It was very strange, in fact. At first, so we learned uh, classical guitar, you know. We, uh, but then he was uh, constantly talking about Bonnie Castle, Tupas, and all these uh, great guitar players. And then he started to, uh, he asked me, uh, would you like to know much uh, a bit more of this? And so uh, he explained me uh, chord progressions, a lot about chord theory, in a very easy way, you know, extensions and all the all, all the whole thing that you can imagine. And um, so I, I I I started to combine, in fact, classical guitar, a sort of classical guitar uh, techniques with uh, jazz harmonies. Uh, and at that time, there were a few people who did that already, like uh, Rolf Towner or uh, Herberto Gismonti. They did that. Uh, so uh, there were one, let's say there were uh, certainly the, the people who I really looked up. I was also a bit into folk music like John Ranborn and so on. They were also busy with jazz, with pentangle and so on. So I have always combined these two things. Uh, to genres with other genres, you know, with uh, with world music and so on. But I, yes, I, I'm very interested in all kinds of music. To me, all musics are with pop music because I I uh, I grew up with the Beatles. So, you know, all these kind of influences uh, were very important to me, and in fact, certainly the Beatles because what I do is very uh, melodical. And, uh, you know, the Beatles, they were very, very melodical and, and very uh, harmonically, very intriguing music. So I, I had all these influences that made me a kind of composer of uh, contemporary music, but accessible music. Yeah, and it really is amazing to hear the diverse diversity in the genres that you listen to and how many 
places you can draw influence. And I think I don't have many regrets about my musical education, but one of them was just going through a uh, almost like a mindset where for a few years I was into heavy metal and that was all I listened to and I had to be pure and true to that music at the detriment of um, you know all these other genres. I was just like, if it's not heavy metal, I don't want to listen to it. And then I saw my very first blues gig and it was, you know, love at first note. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing and opened up a whole nother world. And I think that's something that's we as teachers can do with our students is always open up doors for them to take a peek in and, you know, let them decide whether they like it or not or whether they want to walk into the room. But if we just show our students, you know, different genres and different guitar plays and different ways to try and inspire them to discover new things, we can play an important role as teachers. Of course, of course, yes. I, I like uh, metal music too, you know. Uh, I think there are great guitar players. It's amazing sometimes the techniques they are using are, are wonderful. So uh, I, I like blues very much too. And as a matter of fact, I'm now composing uh, some blues for classical guitar. So I'm very much uh, in, into everything. Uh, but I, I think after all these years, I uh, sort of uh, developed a, a kind of own style. People can hear that that's my style. A lot of people say that to me. You know, I can hear uh, you have, uh, th this is your style. And this is because I I uh, combined all kinds of influences, not purely jazz, not purely folk music, not purely blues and so on. Uh, yes, it's, it's a question of having an open mind. And uh, yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm definitely keen to hear your mix of classical guitar and blues. <laughs> so you'll have to yes, let me know when it comes out. And of course, we'll pass that on to the listeners. It sounds very, very exciting. And just as Gilbert's been speaking, I open up Spotify on the back end and I can see there's a couple of albums of material. So make sure you check out Gilbert on Spotify. Unless you've got a preferred place, is there a website we can check out and hear some of your compositions? Yeah, so uh, on my website, uh, my compositions... Uh, Some books are now published by Mel Bay in, in America. So they will uh, be published. Uh, I have now four books, I think, yes. And there will be published another two about uh, lute improvisation. And the other one is for upright bass. So um, that's very interesting. People can find these books on Mel Bay, easy. And then uh, I published on Bourbon, which is now taken over by another firm in Italy, a very important firm. And then um, with several other publishers, but now I'm publishing on Kindle, or Kindle, Kindle Publishing. That's from Amazon. And that's very interesting because you don't lose your uh, copyrights. So they don't uh, want any, you know, because with publishers you have to, 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 to have your, uh, to give 50% or 30%, it depends of your copyrights. And, uh, so that's very interesting. And I put my books, uh, which I can't do on Mel Bay. I do them on Amazon. So people can find lots, lots of books on Amazon, on every, uh, store in Amazon in every country. It's very interesting. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, and also I have my website, gilbertisbin.com, uh, .com. So they can find all information on all my compositions on the left side. And then they, get, they can find my biography. Um, in fact, everything 
that's necessary to know me, uh, something about me. Yeah, uh, and again, it's an amazing story, and I'm sure our listeners are going to check it out. And uh, guys, if you are watching, we'll obviously put the link to Gilbert's website in the the uh, description of this episode. But Gilbert, there, there's so many things I want to ask you about, but maybe if we dive a little bit into publishing with Mel Bakes, I know lots of our listeners are writing and creating their own resources. How did you go about getting involved in, you know, arguably one of the world's bigger, if not biggest publicators, so, or publishers, I should say. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about how you went about yeah, that and, yeah. and how it's how, worked how out? Yeah, do yes. Well, when I was uh, 18, my first book I I bought was, uh, or 18 or later, was Dupas Guitar Style, which was published by Mel Bay. I thought, wow, this would be fantastic. Eh? And it took me, I think, 30 years to get on Mel Bay. Every publish, every book I tried to publish, I contacted them. They never replied, <laughs> never. And now, Five, six years ago, suddenly, I got an answer. And since then, it's, it's uh, because William Bay is a very, very nice person. You know, he, every time I send him a book, uh, which, is, uh, which interests him, of course, then he, he publishes it. So it's, it's not easy. You have to persevere constantly, constantly. It's uh, never give up. I would say. <laughs> it's yeah, not that's easy. a great story in persistence, yeah. the fact that you kept on going over a 30-year period yeah, and you paid off. And, yeah. and now, did you mention you had about four books with Mel Bay? Yeah, yes. So I have four books on Mel Bay, and there were uh, two coming out again. They are all on my website. So there are uh, guitar books. There is one book I have to look on my on my website, but you can see it, you know. But anyway, there are four books. There is now one with uh, 50 easy pieces. Ah, there is one with upright bass uh, also. There is one with uh, uh, classical pieces, uh, well, not my own pieces, but for classical guitar, and one for plectrum guitar. Yeah. And now you, uh, the other ones will be for lute, lute improvisation, and uh, for upright bass, bass again. Yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned, but of course you need you need some subjects that interest them. Otherwise, uh, you know, like with uh, unfortunately the composing guitarist for the moment, I'm I'm it it it's it's too busy for the moment. So I would have to wait, but I don't know how how you know how long. So I decided to do it on uh, on Kindle then. Yeah. That's uh, an important thing you mentioned, which I might just pull out and dive into, that sometimes we have an idea and we write a book, but it doesn't necessarily mean we've got an audience for it. There might be something you know we're passionate about, but the big major publishing companies might not be interested or might not see a niche. And at the end of the day, they're doing it to make money. Nothing wrong with that. They've got to uh, feed their families as well. But it's great to see and important to know that the world is a very big place. And if you're having this idea, there's probably definitely an audience out there for it. You just need to go and find them. And I think that's where Amazon comes in. The playing field's been leveled. You now no longer need to uh, be at the mercy of a publishing company giving you the time of day. You can now just go out there and put it on Amazon, which is now the world's biggest marketplace, and uh, hopefully have you know a, a big enough audience find what you're putting out there on there. So maybe tell us how you go about getting a book on Amazon or Kindle, as you've got. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, how, how I got that? Well, it's, um, 
Yes, I, I, I just discovered Kindle, and uh, before it was uh, something else, but I don't remember the, the name. And then they um, they uh, they went into Kindle publishing. And uh, but the great thing about this is that you can, you know, you 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 type your book, uh, you you make your book in Sibelius, you do a PDF of it, and then you just can send it to Kindle publishing. Uh, you have to uh, fill in the whole, uh, you know, all your name uh, and so on and so on, description, etc., etc., and um, uh, then you can make your own cover, or they can help you with your cover. It's no problem. You don't have to pay for anything. That's that's fantastic, isn't it? And you don't lose your copyrights. And in twenty uh, in uh, seventy two hours, your book is published. It's amazing, isn't it? And I must say, I, 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 um, I start quite a lot. It's, 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 it's okay, you know. It's not like with Malbay. Malbay, it's, it's really good. Uh, but on, on Kindle, it's okay. But you have to do, of course, a lot of a promotion. You, you know, you must uh, use uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, all the things. It's constantly working. And that's uh, the advantage with Malbay is you don't have to do anything. They do it all. Eh? But with this, you have to really get it into attention. But it's, it's necessary. Eh? It's, it's just necessary. You have to do it. But I can't complain with Amazon. It's really good, you know. It's good. Yeah. And it appears they have, by incentivizing people with a much better and fairer publishing deal, and again, you know, music publishing companies understand you've got to run a business model, but often, uh, just like with record labels, often the artist is the person being creative, you know, putting the work together, um, making the product, and then the record label is responsible for marketing that to the world and, and sharing it with the world. And often, you know, the, even though the artist is the start of the process, they are getting the least amount of money, <laughs> the raw end of the deal often. Um, and, and that's something we could talk about for a whole other topic. But I think something that Amazon's done really well is they provide a better deal for the content creator, for the artist, for the author, whoever it happens to be. And then they make it really, really easy for you to get your product on there. And that's why there's just such a shift in the marketplace because it's so much easier for the creator to make their content, the timing's quicker. And then, of course, they're incentivized to do it better because they can make more money out of it. Well, another advantage of Amazon is if you have your book out and after a year you say, oh, I could, uh, you know, add some other things to it. It's very easy. You just have to put your PDF again into it and they, they, they change it. So it's, it's, very, it's, it's, it's a, a great way. And an advantage is you always get paid. With some publishers, you never get paid, you know. I had some publishers which, of, of, of which I never got a penny, nothing. Yeah, it's really, uh, so that's uh, for, for people who want to really get their products, their, their music out uh, as a publishment. It's, that's really the good thing, the, the, the best way, I think. Unless you have a big one, you know, like Malbay, who is really paying and no problem with this. Of course, uh, the, the thing is also with Malbay, it opens doors, amazing doors, you know. People play my works. Yeah, of course, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting, of course, yes. 
But, you know, with, now that I'm with uh, Malbay, people know me. And so uh, at Amazon, they know me too. So I, it's, it's a question of constantly uh, being busy with your business, in fact. It's a business, eh? <laughs> yeah, it is a business. And it's, it's business. an important point to make. You, you, know, you sort of highlighted is the bragging rights that you get that go along with being on these big labels or, or big publishing companies. So whether you're an artist trying to get on a major label or you're a publisher, author trying to get on the, you know, a publishing company's or, uh, list, once you're on there, you've got their infrastructure in place. Uh, and there's never been a better time to be a DIY musician or author or educator because the resources that allow you to get your product from you know, in your brain onto a computer out to the world has never been easier, more cost-effective. Like, yeah, I'm sure back in with some of your things, you know, the record label gives you a $100,000 advance or the publishing company gives you a $20,000 advance. Until you pay that back, you don't see a, a penny, as you mentioned before sometimes. But now you can just go straight from, you know, your, the online platform to the uh, the audience uh, and make all the money directly. But having said that, you know, you're competing with everyone else who can do the exact same thing. So being organized, having a business, as you mentioned, is all really, really important stuff. But if you can somehow get yourself to a big enough name that you do get the attention of a Helen Leonard or a Mel Bay, and then you can transfer into their company and infrastructure that's where they take what you're doing and amplify it to a, a world scale so maybe you mentioned you know business tips before or not business tips but taking care of business so how have you taken care of business and been a bit more professional about this over the years well i i always when i have uh, made i think 23 records but mostly these records were made uh, i i did one on bourbon which was a, a big label but mostly they were on, on jazz labels which were quite independent labels well, we, we had to do a lot, you know, you have to send constantly your, at that time there were LPs, long players, and then later on the CDs, it's always sending, you, you really have to do that, sending, hoping that they will review it, and then sometimes you have the, yeah, uh, um, luck, you are lucky. Once I was lucky that there was a reviewed and guitar player, this opens again, you know, things. But you have to do it, you know, on, on the 100 albums that you sent, perhaps you get three or four reviews. So you really have to do um, a lot of efforts for this. And then uh, also what also, when I made records, was very important that I... Uh, played everywhere. So I had my albums with me and I could sell them uh, to the audience. That was another kind of uh, thing to to get some money, uh, plus the money of the of the concerts, of course. So it's 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 all together, eh? but you have to invest uh, at first. And, and then after a while, uh, it's get easier and easier and easier. But it's not, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And also another thing is that you have to be, that you have to do something original. You know, uh, I, I'm doing this on a classical guitar and on, on the lute, which is an early music instrument. So you, 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 people get attention, uh, you know, you get attention of people because they say, ah, that's strange. Uh, he plays, uh, he improvises on, uh, on a classical guitar. 
and he uh, improvises on on the lute, uh, which was done before in uh, in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance period, but now they do that uh, anymore. So that makes you very special, and they ask you to play, and they they uh, purchase your uh, your publications and so on because it's it's completely different. That's something you really have to do, and most of the pop groups and so on. Yeah, they, they were always a, a little bit different. Nirvana, uh, you know, uh, Sting and so on, always a bit different. Yes, you have to make it to be a little bit, but not too much. Otherwise, you people are not interested too because it's too far out. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. For the listeners who aren't quite sure, just describe uh, what a lute is and how it differs to a uh, classical guitar. Uh, what the difference is? Oh, it's very different. Uh, a lute is um, on my lute. There are uh, double strings. So the first string is single. The other strings are uh, double strings. It's like a twelve string, but the strings are gut strings. And um, I, on on my lute, I have uh, it's an eight chord lute, which means seven strings double and one string uh, single. It's a very soft, soft instrument. If you play um, on the guitar, on the classical guitar, the attack is much more um, heavier. And on the lute, uh, it's very, very light, very, very light. And I, I play like this. I play with my thumb in my hand, yes, like this. And then you do like this. So it's a completely different technique. Uh, it took me, I think, five years to, to get this technique really well. And, and, and now I play on the guitar with this technique too, which is nice. You know, it's, it gives you very, very nice attack. And I play without nails. So I, I, I uh, you know, my nails are very short. I play with my flesh, which gives this also, which gives you sound, a very special sound again. So it's, it's it's all about uh, being a little bit special. <laughs> yeah, that's, and is a lute, uh, do you just play single string melodies or do you do strumming and no. picking patterns as well? Yeah, yeah. I play everything. Uh, I play um, very modern chords on it. I play jazz chords on it. I, uh, play, uh, I play completely finger-picking patterns on it. I play combinations with uh, single string and bass and and so on. It's, uh, I do everything on uh, on the lute, which is uh, so. Some of the lute uh, players are a bit, uh, you know, they say, "What's happening here?" Because they are not accustomed to this. But I don't care. I never cared about anything. Also, yes, you don't have to care about anything as long as you <laughs> you right, can say the lute police are going to come and throw you in j- in lute jail for playing it yeah, that's amazing. I'm sure we can. If we look on your YouTube, can we find some videos of you playing this? Loop? Oh yeah, it's a lot, a lot, a lot. There are a lot of players who who play my music too on YouTube, and I uh, do also a lot of uh, you know educational things. Like uh, for this book, uh, for the book here, I did uh, quite a few uh, videos. You know, all in little chapters. That's one thing you have to do too. You have to. To, you know, you make a book and, and then you have to, you, people must, how, how they should know what's in the book. 
because if you just say uh, uh, this and that is in the book, you have to show it. So I I, uh, I give it with examples uh, with uh, musical examples and so on, and with uh, guitar examples, recorded guitar examples and so on. So yes, it's it's a combination of everything to get attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's excellent and. I just think it's amazing. If you're the one providing the uh, the songs and the study materials and the resources, obviously everyone who's interested in that simply goes through your means. So for those of you, you know, who are business-minded, how can you use this in your own business? How can you be you know, the provider? Uh, and I used to play in a band, and I remember having a conversation with a singer, and um, he goes, I can't even remember how it came up. I think we were driving to this country town. I think we were driving from Melbourne to Adelaide, and we drove through this uh, – gold mining town and he goes oh you know what michael when my family first came out to australia um it was during the gold rush we came over from scotland and he goes um, my great great grandfather he was a bit of a businessman and he goes why do all the hard work and dig for gold when he can be the one selling the uh the mining equipment to the people who are going to go do the digging and i guess that's maybe where it's not intentionally but you've got all these uh this niche of loot players from all around the world uh, who are looking for things to play and do and, and you're providing that you know avenue for them to find pieces and, and learn their craft through that. So I think that's a really amazing thing and a really important lesson for our listeners. Yeah, you, you need a, well, you have a, a newsletter. I have a newsletter too. So all these kind of things are, are, are important. Eh? I, um, I don't do that too much, but uh, for ex- example, for this book, I made a newsletter I have lots of addresses. That's all another thing. You have to look for addresses. Oh, you, it, take, it takes a, a month of time, isn't it, to, to get somewhere? But okay. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and I wanted to ask you a bit more about creativity and teaching and composition because that's obviously the topic of your, your new book. Do you want to hold that book up for us just one more time and tell us the name of that? So it's uh, The Composing Guitarist, An Easy Approach. And that was very important because I, I, I started to compose a book, but I thought, this is too difficult. You know, there are lots of books which are on composition, which are, you say, you start with it and after two, three pages, you say, oh, my goodness, it's, it's, it's not for me. So then I, I think I wrote this book 10 times again until I found really... Ah, now it's like uh, when I'm a beginner or an intermediate uh, guitar player, now I would take the book and I could finish it. Because it's not about theory. It's very, very simple. It's all about, you know, uh, in fact, for the, uh, to begin with, you, you need two notes. It's the root and the third. That's all you need. And... Uh, and then, of course, you need uh, to know a scale. Eh? I, I take here the C major scale, and then later I take all the scales. And then with this two, with this scale, you can make uh, the chords, the two note chords. And then you um, you can sing this. You, you can play it and sing melodies on it. Then you write a melody down, and then you you combine the two together. So you have already the bass and a little bit of the harmony and the melody. And then you can put in the, into the middle more harmony. You can put uh, the notes of the scale, but you can go out of the scale. 
it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter so it's all about things uh, that you don't have to say oh now i'm playing here the phrygian mode and this mode and uh, and this chord must have this scale and so on no it's not about this it's about a very very simple a very simple approach and how and the result can be uh, wonderful it's uh, yeah and it's also about uh, being creative and uh, play, uh, you know, uh, compose intuitively. Not about, you know, ah, this sequence and this and that and that uh, two, uh, two for one and so on. And what is it all? Or, uh, no, it's not about this. It's uh, it's it's about uh, taking a chord progression, any chord progression. You can steal a chord progression too. Why not? Uh, there are no co- no copyrights on chord progressions. Or, or just taking chords and, and put them together somewhere, sing them with these two notes, sing a melody and so on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite uh, different from other books. Like for melody, most of uh, composers then give uh, very big explanations about how this melody, uh, which chord is fitting on this melody and so on. But then, uh, this book is about a totally different approach. In fact, every note can uh, be a bass note of any melody note. And if you say, oh, I, I play a, a B, well, perhaps I can take a, a, C, a C, uh, C sharp, yes, a C sharp in the bass, and then you go on. C sharp, you do a third in it, and you fit another notes, and you have your... Uh, You'll have your, um, for a start, you have your harmonized note, and then you can play it in uh, arpeggios, you can play it in broken chords, and so on, and so on, and so on. But it's very, very simple, in fact. Yeah, and composition, it's often shrouded in mystery, and uh, how would I describe it? Like, for me, I was always told, first you've got to learn guitar, then you've got to get good at this, this, and this. And then two or three years down the track, you can start composing. So what are your thoughts on how early should people start being creative and, and when should teachers start working on, on composition and creativity with their students? Yeah. Well, I always say, uh, you know, as soon as you've got your instrument, try to compose something. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is and how it sounds and so on. But just try, you know, sing a melody, play it on your guitar, try to find a note that can accompany it, no matter what note it is, no matter how it sounds. But uh, with this approach, you will uh, find it much easier and uh, there, there will be no, no ru- uh, you know, you don't have all these rules because all these rules get you very crisped and uh, it's, it's very diff- uh, difficult uh, if you, if, if you follow all these rules. So in this book also, I don't follow any rule. It's very simple. And I, to my students, I do the same. You know, I can give them a little, little, very, you know, easy melody and say, try to harmonize it with a bass note. And it doesn't matter what note or which notes you use to this melody. Because if you take this melody... You can uh, then, I, I say, uh, try to do it with other notes, and so on, and so on, and so on. So you you, you can create uh, very beautiful harmonic things, and then you can start with adding notes between it 
to get more harmony. You can follow the scale, but you can go out of the scale too. There's no, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, composition is too much uh, rule-based. Mm-hmm. And most of the composers, I read an interview with Chukorea. He said, I don't care about anything. And Sting says that too, although I don't believe him because it's it's quite well. Uh, but he said, oh, I don't know. It's, it's just... Uh, <laughs> But it'd most really intuitive. Yeah, it'd be interesting with someone like Sting, because obviously Chikoria just does whatever he wants. Some of these guys, uh, like Sting, for example, uh, does he do all this crazy stuff which you never get to hear because they only publish the commercial stuff through, you know, the police and his solo name? And does he have this huge library of all these amazing things you've never heard that are, you know, uh, he will never release the public uh, because it's just not what the the label or the commercial instruments into. So that's just a a little thought that I had. And again, I'd I'd love to see like Angus Young from ACDC make an album that's not ACDC and see what he's really capable of. Cause I'm sure he, he can do some amazing things. And, and even one of my favorite guitar players, Gary Moore, I heard right before his death, he was doing a, a jazz fusion album and and I was like, oh, man, I really wish we had have, uh, been able to do that. And I, I actually discovered he played in a, a group called Coliseum, and I didn't actually know this until earlier this year that he plays in this amazing jazz fusion program. And it was like rediscovering my whole favorite guitar player. So, yeah, just to your thought there, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to you know be able to be a fly on the wall in the lives of some of these people. You know, like Phil Collins. Phil Collins, he played in a, in a jazz rock group before uh, he went uh, into Genesis and so on. You know, all these people are very open-minded. Like Sting, he, he made a record of the lute music of uh, John Doland. So he sang uh, John Doland songs, which was very, very, very good because at the time and the, the Renaissance, nowadays sing, you know, you're very, very uh, well-trained and so on and so on. But at the time of the Renaissance period, they weren't very well-trained. You know, they, they just sound like like we should sing, you know. Uh, and so Sting, uh, sound is uh, Dolent uh, songs. I thought, ah, oh, but he's really, that's that's how it sounded at that period. You know, now it's too polished and too, you know, you hear a record, you say, not like, and especially in the lute music, it's terrible. You don't hear any, Nothing, you know, it's impossible to play without noises on the lute, but I don't know how many, many edits they do to, to get this sound. It's, uh, yeah, it's Every very, note, very, <laughs> every single yeah, note is edited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> uh, one by one. Yeah, I'm sure Sting is, uh, is really very open to any kind of music, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Now, very interesting topic. Now, in terms of our teachers listening to this who want to start doing more creative stuff with their uh, students, what are some activities they can do or exercises that they can do to start nurturing creativity within their students? I would say um, first learn them. Well, it, it depends which students you have. You know, I give lessons uh, to students and I only teach them uh, chords. It depends uh, what you are doing, uh, what they need. But if they want to be really c- creative, I think it's it's the best thing is to. I have my own my own books. I use my own books, in fact, uh, 
to to learn them, you know, to learn them very very easy things, and then I explain them also what they are playing. You know, some some of the classical players, very young classical players, they don't even know which chord this is. You know, is it a, a C six or a, it's very important that you know this, that you know the intervals, uh, that you know the names of the intervals and how they relate to each other, and uh, and then it's it's yeah. I think it's very important that that uh, students know what they are doing, what how a piece is built. You know, you can also explain them. You know, he he takes this little motif here and he repeats it. Look, he repeats it there. He repeats it in the bass part, or he repeats it in the middle part, or he just did a retrograde with it. You can, but this is more for intermediate students and. But you can explain all these little things. He do he does an inversion. I think it's very important that you know. It's it's if you read a book, you must know what you're reading, and uh, it's it's important that if you play, you, you must know what you're playing. In fact, and then you can encourage them to to compose something a little bit like you have uh, in the vein you have learned them uh, doing things. And if they want to compose, I already explained, I give them a, a very, very easy melody, Twinkle, Twinkle Star and so on, you know, and uh, try to arrange them and then try to de- develop uh, the melody and so on and so on. Yeah, there's some really, really great exercises there for teachers. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, so many teachers themselves never got to learn creativity or they never got around to it. It's something that after becoming an amazing player and learning a whole bunch of things for exam purposes, you know, we go, okay, now I want to compose something. And then it's almost like you've got to go back and do a, another entire course or discover it. And then you feel like a total beginner again. So uh, and with my students, especially uh, almost as an auto correction, you know, I went from an exam kind of based approach to learning where I was never creative. I never improvised. I never did anything to going to a, da- a jazz degree at university and, you know, where improvisation was the, uh, <laughs> the number one, purpose and focus so it was a very rude awakening going from no creativity skills to being required to do it at a tertiary level and I really really struggled so part of what I do in my school Melbourne Guitar Academy and a lot in the Guitar Ninjas curriculum that I have composed is create more opportunities for improvisation for creating things as what you said helping the student understand what they're doing and the rules of the music theory and you know the music theory it isn't the the you break this rule and the guitar police come and get you it's hey these are the rules these are the this is the recipe if you think of music theory like a recipe if this if you want to sound like beethoven you follow the recipe and the rules that beethoven was using to make his sounds if you want to sound like um chick korea uh in in this in the early 70s you follow these rules which he was playing and discovering and, and mucking around with if you want to sound like renaissance music you've got to use the rules that they had at that period of time and every time someone broke the rules it resulted in a different sound and more theory retrospectively explaining what it was so that's you know what we're trying to do uh, with my school is just explain to people that theory is not this thing you need to be scared of and you don't need to wait five years to get good at guitar to make something up and while most artists go I've got to learn this and master it and I'm not good enough yet to go out there and do it. The people that become famous, the people that get the opportunities, the ones that just make it up as they go and try it out and fail and try again and keep on working out and they arrive at their destination by doing rather than, you know, waiting until they're ready. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing I, I, I also do is to sing with your guitar. 
You know, when you play, when you take a note, try to sing it. It's very important. So, uh, I, you know, if you have a melody in your mind, you can immediately find it on your guitar. Otherwise, you have to, you know, fool around until you find something. So that's uh, also very important that you can sing with your guitar. You, and and uh, then you're, uh, you will find easier melodies and uh, singable, uh, more singable. You can make more singable compositions. Oh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a very important overlooked point. I think the best way to connect yourself to your instrument is to just constantly sing. It's all about developing that inner ear and being able to bridge the connection from uh, you know mind to fingers. And I think this is one of the advantages that the you know horn players and saxophonists and woodwind instruments have is there's such a vocal quality to their instrument because they're literally breathing their their soul straight into it, whereas we guitar players you know, have to channel it through our fingers and there's a little bit of separation there happening. So I think it's that, that it completely could be completely made up, but that's almost like a, a theory that I heard or, or thought about and gone, yeah, that makes sense. We have to try and transfer it more like a, you know, typing on a computer and, and the biggest uh, problem guitar players have is especially if you like you know, the heavy metal in the 80s like I do. It's just literally how fast can I technically type on this uh, computer? And it's often a maturity thing where we slow down a bit and start thinking a bit more about what we do with our music. But if we can get our students singing from day number one, then that makes a huge difference and gives them a whole different outlook. Really, really. Yes, yes, yes. It's very important. Yes. Well, Gilbert? I think we're coming to the end of our time here and I really, really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. So can you just one more time tell us uh, your website and where our listeners can find out a bit more about yourself, your compositions and all the wonderful things that you're doing? Okay. So um, my website is uh, com, and that's my website. And then you can find my uh, compositions on Malbay and on Amazon. Every Amazon store, you just uh, uh, type in books and then Gilbert Disbin and you find them. Or CDs, you can find them too on Amazon. Then you can find um, some of these chapters here on YouTube. A lot of players are playing my pieces on YouTube too. You just type in Gilbert Disbin and you find it. Then I'm on Facebook too. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Ooh, where am I? You know, on all this kind of social melody. You just have to uh, to write Gilbert Isbin and you you find me. So that's what we'll do, guys. Make sure you, if you're at your computer right now, or you, as long as you're not driving, it's safe to do so. Check out uh, com, And of course, like and subscribe on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Check out all the amazing things he's doing, whether it's with a guitar in hand or a loop. And of course, the composing guitarist and easy approach. Just punch that into Google or Amazon and you can get it in whatever format you like. So, Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you and hosting with you and learning from the wealth of experience that you've got over the years. And I'll, I'll look forward to our next conversation when your next book comes out. So, by the way, um, you might not want to release this, but can you hint as to what the next book's going to be about? Well, the next book will be uh, 40 Easy Guitar Duets. And the other book will be a blues for classical guitar. So I have two books in mind. <laughs> very, very interesting topics. And uh, you know, I'll probably just open up the conversation again. But I think there is a huge lack of pieces out there 
for duets, which have a really, really easy approach. And um, you may be familiar with like the William Levitt kind of book where there's some really great duets where the student plays and the teacher plays. But if we had some uh, resources where two students could play together, really, really simple stuff. I think on the back of the last two years of lockdowns and pandemics, people are really yearning for that human connection and people really want to play with other people. That's an experience that was taken away for a lot of people for a short amount of time. And it's also one of the best, uh, the best kind of things about playing music. I don't think anyone sets out to be a bedroom guitar player and stay in their bedroom getting better and better and not sharing what they do and the talent they build with the world. And I think with more people being incentivized to play with other people through better pieces, better compositions, and just discovering that earlier on in the process would make a, a huge difference. So I'm really keen for your other books, especially the, the classical guitar blues crossover book there. But I, I would wholeheartedly love some more uh, you know, duet pieces and collaborative pieces there. So Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on. We'll keep you in the loop and keep our listeners in the loop as to more stuff that comes out. And guys, if you haven't liked and subscribed already to Gilbert's stuff, go and check it out after this podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next exciting episode. Thank you very much, Hagel. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.